Any good? Target audience will hate it. Who's the target audience? People with eyes. Talk to me. It's an exfil. From where? Worst place you can think of. Universal City. How are you going to get in the embassy? They're not in the embassy. During the takeover, six people escaped. They're hiding out in Tehran. And that's who I'm going to go get. What am I making? I need you to help me make a fake movie. <laughs> Came to the right place. I want to set up a production company and build a cover around making a movie. That we're not going to make? No. So you want to come to Hollywood and act like a big shot? Yeah. Without actually doing anything? No. That's fit right in. She's my little rock and Happy holidays and welcome back to the Film Effect Podcast, where we take best pictures to the full effect. I'm Ed, with me as usual is my cinematic life mate, Sean. Good morning, Film Effect. And if you like movies and enjoy listening to film podcasts, then you've come to the right place. Every week we do deep dives and touch lives, focusing on a single film per episode in an effort to give it the full film effect treatment. But before we pitch you some of the best worst ideas we have, I want to let you guys know that our ever-growing collection of previous episodes can be found on our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast as well as all major platforms direct link in the episode notes. And if you're one of the 50% of our listeners who check us out on Apple Podcasts, then do us a solid and let us know your thoughts on this episode and how we're doing in the form of a review. And now that Spotify allows listeners to leave ratings, we trust that you'll do the same for us on that platform. Make damn sure we value your opinions. All right, Sean, can you let the people know where they can find us on both Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, it's going to be the Film Effect Podcast. All right, and if you're more of a Twitter person who has no shame in their game, where can they find us at on there? At Film Effect Pod. All right, and if they want to be old-fashioned and send out an old-fashioned email, where can that be sent to? The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. And if TikTok is your thing, guys, you can also check us out there <laughs> at Film Effect Podcast. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. Um, so how you been overall, brother? I'm still on the tail end of this damn respiratory infection. It had me down for the count for almost two weeks. I think you know that. Yeah. I mean, you sound better. I mean, even yesterday, you had me a little concerned as I was leaving with just the way you were all over. Overall, like, I don't know. Your hearing was worse and stuff. How's that working? Well, you got to figure, man. It said, I mean, I've, I've had sinus problems for as long as I can remember. So I get a, you know, I get a chest infection like that all that mucus just backs up in my head it makes me even more deaf than I was before in my left ear <laughs> yeah it was bad yesterday though especially because I had my headphones on playing my playstation for a while and then I'll take them off and now both ears are ringing and I can't Mandy's getting pissed man I'm looking right at her I can't hear a fucking thing <laughs> yeah I don't know dude like 
something similar happened to me uh, a few weeks back. Like, I, I had like long term tinnitus. Like, it was just that's, ringing for that's like base. over. But it, usually, when I had that sensation, you know, like you, you blow and you hold your nose and blow, or you like swallow or whatever, or you right. sneeze or cough, and it goes and it pops back or whatever. Right. And I wanted to do that, and it wasn't working. It was still like in my right ear like the ringing and just I could barely hear that out of that end and it just felt weird because I'm like OCD so everything's about balance for me yeah. so I felt really weird having full hearing in the left ear but the right ear is like not so much I'm like oh man this is fucking with my head alright so, so um, imagine- it lasted it, it's better now but it, it was really it had me concerned because it lasted for like a week and a half no joke uh, well imagine it lasting for 25 years and that'll kind of give you an idea where I'm at yeah, dude. Where that come? Where that stem from? Uh, it's uh, ultimately traced back to um, uh, it's a condition called bolus meningitis, right? So uh, it's a little uh, medical. Write that down, kids. It's a little medical lesson for you guys. So <laughs> when I was when I was really young, like like my eardrum, like I don't think think I was a year old. My parents told me like my left eardrum had burst for it really fully formed, and then. Um, like uh, it didn't really start developing until I remember I was in early high school, like probably maybe you know tenth grade or whatever. Woke up in the middle of the night with like mm-hmm. just a nasty earache, and at the time my mom just like just put some cotton in it, go back to bed. And then I used to almost come on like clockwork every seven years. So what it is is um, because that drum had never you know fully formed before. Uh, the incident happened. Um, mm-hmm. If I get if I get sick, like I got this, you know, respiratory infection. If I get any kind of viral infection, it'll settle in there and develop a boil um, on my eardrum. Yeah, and it used to be like mm-hmm. I would I could feel it coming on, and mm-hmm. I would you know gotta go get it treated. And there was like eardrops and steroids and antibiotics and stuff. And um, I remember distinctly the night before my 30th birthday, um, I can kind of feel it coming on. And I was at a karaoke bar in Essex. <laughs> I run across to like Rite Aid or whatever and get some eardrops and stuff because I didn't have a way to the doctor. I had insurance or whatever. So I kind of self-medicated it, figuring, you know, as usual, after, you know, a few weeks, like you said, that hearing will slowly come back. Well, it started with, you know, basically... A, I would say maybe a 20 to 30% loss. And here we are almost 20 years later and I've got just about nothing in that ear. I mean, it's it's kind of a nasty situation. Um, I to get my, my Medicare straight, so I'm gonna look at maybe get a hearing aid or something. But that's 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 what it is, man. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. I've had that bolus meningitis thing. I've I've developed like probably in 47 years, probably developed four boils on that eardrum. Painful as shit, man. Like somebody shoving a hot ice pick in your ear. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, when it happens now, it's like nerves are dead, so I don't feel it. But yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I, I but it's like when it was when it was you know 20 years ago, man, it was painful as shit. Mandy's looked in there before, and like she, you know, she'll peroxide and you know clean it out. But even she's she's fascinated. She's like, wow, it looks like spider eggs, you know. Mm. <laughs> you know, so that's that's what it is. Now, like I said. I, I do tend to use it to my advantage. It helps me get selective oh, hearing. You guys hate yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. you guys hate my selective hearing shit. And I don't do always do it on purpose. But if you're on my left side, 
or you're, you know, you're not looking right in front of me and I don't expect you to speak. I'll, I can hear noise, but I can't make out what's being said. And that's why I'm constantly right. asking you to repeat yourself. Now, <laughs> when I want to sleep in, it's a fucking great thing. All I do is just roll over to that right ear. Mandy could be laying next to me at an Iron Maiden concert and I wouldn't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so mm. what you went through for, you know, a week, week and a half, imagine going through that for half your life. That's what it's like to be me. No, man. I'm sorry to hear that. That's Well, I've just grown accustomed. I got a taste of it, and it wasn't pleasant. I, yeah, so. I've grown accustomed to it almost to the point where, like, if... Oh, it, I'm sure. I'm if, sure. like, I, it would actually be a culture shock to me now. Like, I'm almost afraid to get it fixed. It's weird. Mm. You know? Um, so... Football Saturday started yesterday. Like the last two to three weeks of the season, they always throw in a couple Saturday games. Yeah, I knew and it was it was, a, it was a big one for the uh, Patriots because they played the Colts and they were at the top of the AFC, had the first seed, and we were right behind them with our win Thursday night KC. So Indianapolis won. My boy Jonathan Taylor with that fucking fifty-plus yard run to seal the deal at the end of the game, and that knocked them out of first place. That knocked them out of the first seed. And my Chiefs at the top of the mountain once again. Welcome back, Patrick Mahomes and company. Your boy could not be happier in football terms. Yeah, I don't be any happier than I am right now. You know, I, I, don't, I love this feeling. You know, I don't follow the sport, but I was reading. I know, or, I, I was know. I was reading an article the other day. Apparently, his brother's a raging douchebag. Oh, let's not go into <laughs> Jackson Mahomes. I was let's, I saw no. some of his stuff. The kids don't are, even get me started. The kids are fucking he's, punk, man. Yeah, so he needs yeah. A couple they all started at that Baltimore game that I was at where he threw the yeah he on threw the water. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Saw that. Yeah, bullshit. He I, looks. I like, he just look, he looks like it's just a fucking douche now. Oh, he's something else. Boy. He's something else, dude. Does does he so, yeah. play? I mean, is he just riding? No, 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 no. Tails? He's like he's a young, like sixteen, seventeen year old. Nah, he's just like riding Big Brother's fucking bank book. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I, I mean, I'm sure you heard the news of that restaurant that called him out. That he left a bad review on Yelp, and they called yeah. him out on Twitter or something. I don't yeah. know. And they tagged that's him and right. shit. So that's, that's called right. him entitled and everything. I mean, they weren't wrong. They weren't. There was nothing in that reply that a response that was that's, bullshit that's what started then i started hitting the hyperlinks to other articles apparently he's yeah, that's doing, how it starts exactly. he did some didn't he do some like tiktok thing it's on somebody's memorial spot in the end zone or something yeah sean off. taylor and uh they started right down the, the beltway in dc at uh, uh the fedex field oh yeah it was just right, they right. retired his number and they had it blocked off, and then, like, apparently Mahomes' wife and, and him were on top of it, and they were saying, oh, that's where security told us to go. I'm like, yeah, okay. They told you to step over that, you know, thing, and, and no, no. Come Film on. your little TikTok it, video? It, yeah, exactly. So, whatever. Dude, I wish we'd have um, known, I wish he'd known he, was, he was in town. We could have drove down there and just beat his ass for an afternoon. <laughs> Guys, yeah, you know, ourselves. It seems like he's got a comment, though. Um. So, as a lot of our listeners might know, we've put out a lot of material in the last couple of weeks. A lot of episodes been put out. A lot of multi-week episodes or multi-episodes per week. Um. And yeah, we got more coming out to, to wrap up the year. But then after that, like I told you yesterday, 
uh, we plan to take the first two weeks of 2022 off. So we're gonna be taking a two-week hiatus. Nothing, nothing, nothing crazy. Just a two-week hiatus. And uh, yeah, your boys we'll deserve back. a break, gang. We've been busting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, a little us time, and then we'll be back for, like I mentioned before, in case uh, you guys forgot, I announced uh, we got. Tarantino Triple X, which is 30 years of Quentin Tarantino films, because next year is the 30th anniversary of Reservoir Dogs, which is the film that kicked off his directorial career. So we plan to cover one episode a month um, dedicated to one of his movies or a couple of them that he wrote the uh, screenplay for, which of course leads to my first episode of the podcast with True Romance. Yes, me and Sean will be covering true romance this year or next year as well and the other thing i announced was um waters when water wednesdays which was john waters um just just because he's a local legend i love the man and he has enough films he actually happens to have 12 full-length movies and we're just going to be doing once a month the second wednesday of each month i believe i announced on twitter a couple months back yeah, but that will the Pope of Trash. <laughs> oh, God. There's going to be some gnarly stuff we're going to be covering. Hey, but he's We're going to save that stuff for later on in the year. We're going to kick it off with favorite of mine, Serial Mom, of course. Yeah, you So, remember. yeah. So, again, we'll be back in I don't two really, weeks. I don't really have a favorite. Yeah, it's different because it's not like other directors were like sometimes. It's, know, I mean, it's, it's his early, his early output. I appreciate his early output, just like young Baltimore hippie in the seventies, you know, making movies on the cheap up in Ruxton, you know. Right. But it was it was more shock value than anything. When, you know what he was doing with Divine and and Mink Stole back in the day. Mm-hmm. I mean. Let's face it, every you know, everybody loves pink. I, I guess I'd have to say pink flamingos just because of the, you know, the the, the notorious stigma. Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, it's it's definitely like it feels like cinema verite I'm, documentary. I'm not style. looking forward to covering a few of those films, and that's one of them. My favorite story is how he got uh, Mr. Ray from the local Mr. Ray's Hair Weave. To uh, narrate the beginning, or do you old enough well, to save, remember that? Save, save it for the episode, yeah, Mister no, Mister no. Ray's hair. We guy had a hair salon up on like Boston Street or something. He had these local mm. commercials back in the seventies. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's yeah. We got so we got you know a bunch of stuff coming out in the next couple weeks to wrap up the year. Shout out! Shout out to his family. Shout out to Justin and Corey uh, for the last minute save with the. Uh, previous episode that we covered um i forgot what it was already new country for old men there it is yeah thanks um, yeah thanks guys it was like last minute i was really really under the weather y'all, yeah it was literally last minute y'all Thank swooped God in and saved the day justin checked in on me later on that night god love him you know so yeah i appreciate that guys we just had like i was in bad bad shape when we went to record that for the record gang um if you listen to our our conversation with d wallace um, during that episode, that's where everything started. I was running a hundred degree fever that whole day. And Ed and I had about what, probably four interviews lined up over six hours that day. And I yeah, just, we were on a couple, we had a couple, we had to cancel, well not cancel, but postpone a couple. So yeah, it's it wasn't like quite I, I the was, press chunk that we had, in, you know, had planned, but still we got a not, we got a lot knocked out. Yeah. That but day, I, just, I, I was, considered. 
uh, I was doing that, you know, with a hundred degree fever. So right. that was the start of things. And then, yeah. So like I said, by the time when it came time for no country, man, I was, I was no good. I've been, mm-hmm. you know, right, that was on my fourth fever of the week. So thanks, uh, Justin and Corey for swooping in and saving my ass yeah, on that one. Definitely right on. Thanks guys. All right. Current events. Well, it's here. Spider-Man mania. Mm, Jesus. I'm sure by, if I know you the way I think I know you, you've already went and done and read the spoilers. <laughs> no, 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 I haven't. Um, it's going to be hard now because like I can't not I, come I went, I literally, article. yeah, I went to, went to, I went to Wikipedia Friday night. I was like, fuck this. I got to know. And I went to Wikipedia, but then I, as I hit the plot button, I, I negated myself and, and, and closed it out. I was like, no, no. So I saw it last night, but I'm not going to say anything. So I yeah, I want to. I, I mean, I want to see it, but I, I, I doubt I'll be able to get to the theater. So I don't. Oh, you know. dude, I've never seen the theater so crowded since. It, oh, I that. haven't seen it. It was it was ridiculous. Like literally every theater, every screen was dedicated to this movie, and they were all sold out until like 10:30. We didn't see it until 10:40 last night, and it was still fucking batshit crowded like you would have thought it was 7 p.m but in reality it was close to midnight there was so many people like i i said i haven't seen an event like that in the theater since endgame and that tells you that that right there was a a really positive sign for this the movie industry like it's still capable of you know box office the uh, the hits are still out there you know spider-man is just you know an example of that so yeah. don't people out there doubting the theater experience and all that noise, stop it. Just stop it. Because as of this recording, which is 10.30 Sunday morning, I don't think the box office numbers have been put out yet. But I last, last thing I read, this was going to pull in endgame, num, endgame numbers, like $250 million domestic opening weekend is what they were talking uh, about. It's, it's, if, it's, it's about there already. I, I and if, it's that, if that's the case, then wow. And I believe it. I, judging by last night's experience, like, yeah. It, I just, from the film to just knowing that this was a really comforting sign that the theaters aren't going anywhere, you know. There's still business to be made in theaters. So, thank God. Take that, COVID. Um, uh, yeah, it's, so uh, yeah for, we, me, it, it, for me, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not the pandemic. It's, it's. It's I know, going I know there. It's the it, it's the it's the you know. The, now, granted, this would be re- return on investment for me when I drop forty bucks for a pair of tickets, you know. But half you know half this shit coming out there ain't worth that kind of money. Um, you will get your money's worth. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll bet. I'll bet. I'll bet. Um, as like I said, it's going to be hard for me to you know for me to avoid you know the spoilers and stuff because I can't tell the last time I saw a Marvel movie in a theater I usually just you know wait for right. Disney Plus now you know mm-hmm. so I'll, I, I yeah. probably will just spoil it for myself just because I can't I'm not going to you know I'm eventually going to stumble across an article without an alert and it's going to fuck it well, up we're going to spoil it for you right now I can nah, tell you right now I don't do that anymore <laughs> All right, then let's move right along. Uh, weekly recommends. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? Uh, so I am going to throw a holiday film out there. I'm, I'm feeling festive. And it's actually a movie that I was on the fence about doing for our surprise, wink, wink, Christmas film that we're covering this year. and But instead, I kind of 
did a 180 and went in another direction. But, uh, yeah, uh, a film called Better Watch Out. You ever heard of it? came out about uh, five years ago. The yeah, I, I, I know of it. As a matter of fact, I was like, you know, farting around looking for something to watch last night. And I was on that Just Watch app and I saw it was streaming somewhere. It's on Peacock. Okay. And it's also on, um, what's that one? There's another app on there. I can't remember what it was, but it's 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 available to, uh, to the to the masses. Right. Right. Um, I'm surprised you of all people have not seen this film. It came out about five years ago. Uh, yeah, um, but it it looks known like for its twists. Like, it looked to me like it'd be like a you know Black Christmas ripoff. It's like you take Black Christmas and Home Alone, put them together, and this is like the love child of those two films. Yeah. Um. And it's yeah. I mean, after you know, going back and rewatching, I've I've seen the film about four or five times now. Um, you know, after you see it the first time, you know what's going to happen, but it's still got rewatch um, value. And I just really enjoy the movie. Um, I enjoy the pair. The, there's a, these two. They're not brother and sister, but there's a, a young actor, a young kid, and the uh, the lead girl who's like a teenager the two of them played siblings in that um and like Shyamalan film the visit that came out around the same time as this actually so I thought that was a pretty cool little bit of trivia because they're, they're both Australian actors and that they apparently filmed this movie over in Australia so I don't know I didn't know MLS Shyamalan made a film in Australia because I thought he filmed all this stuff outside of Philadelphia like we're up the road from here but I don't know where are you at on the visit, by the way? Um, it's one of those like found footage type things, so I just I gotcha. Say no more, cuz. Yeah. I mean I know Catherine Hahn's in it. Barely, but yeah, she is in it. Uh how about you? What do you got this week? You guys go watch Better Watch Out. How about you? Um, I started I didn't finish it. I started watching that uh Power of a Dog last night, but it was really late. Very good film. Mm. Very good. Netflix, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. A lot of Oscar buzz. Yeah, uh, you you, you got Meth Damon, Kiki, and Blunderbuss Cumberbund all firing at the top of their their (laughs) game. But, uh, yeah, no, he's, he's, uh, he's, yeah, Cumberbatch is, he's, he's like a motherfucker just to be a motherfucker, man. Mm. Um, so I still got about, you know, a little under an hour left on it. Um, but then, then, uh, you and I were talking, I was talking to you and Justin about that, uh, that Vince Vaughn movie I stumbled across, Term Life. That wasn't bad. You said you had seen it a couple years ago. Um, It's been a while because it came out about eight years ago or so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised everybody involved. I saw it. I saw it at the apartment. That's how long ago it's been. Okay, yeah. See, because I kind of remember it like being on the shelf right around the time I started at at, at Blockbuster. I mean, at uh, Best Buy, and I'm just like, "What is this?" And got to be a stinker. And then I'd forgotten about it. I, you know, I'm Vince Vaughn's goofy hairpiece. Yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure he was coming off of a drag. I mean, um, sub bronze cell block ninety nine. So that's probably why they had to do that. Mm. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because he shaved his yeah. head for that. No, so no, 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 were... no, 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 no. Makes no sense because I came out about four or five years after Term Life. So did it really? Term Life was an old. Yeah, Term Life I want to say was filmed about ten years ago, whereas really? Cell Block 
Yeah, 99 came out like in 2017. So they filmed I, I it thought, like 2016. Yeah I, yeah. I thought they weren't too far apart. Anyway, yeah, no, it's great. About great. Anyway, it, yeah. it, was, it was a tight little film. It's only 90 minutes, but you got Vince Vaughn, Haley Steinfeld, Jonathan Banks, John Favreau, Shea Wiggum, Bill Paxton. Keep going. Keep going. Taraji P. Henson. Keep going. Uh, Terrence Howard, directed Keep by going. Peter Billingsley. Who am I missing? Also co starring Peter Billingsley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where's Billingsley in there? He directs it. He's got a he's got a one role. Uh, he's got Does a he? one scene role in the film. I vaguely remember I didn't, that. I, didn't so. even I knew he directed it, it. dude. I, I, dude, I didn't know it was Mike Epps till almost the end of the film. I'm like, holy shit, that's Mike Epps. I've been staring at him for like 45 minutes. Hmm. Was he drinking Schweppes? <laughs> no, it was because he yeah, might be was, related to Mos Epps. Mos Epps, um, yeah. No, it was it was, it was a tight little flick, man. Kind of like you know, I don't know. The ending kind of you know tied it up in a little happy bow that I, I kind of think could have went a little darker. But other than that, it was a fun ride. Um, so I yeah, the movie overall was darker than I expected. Yeah, it yeah, but it was it was definitely it was definitely cool. Um, so. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, term life, but definitely I, I'm looking forward to finishing Power of the Dog just because, like right. it like this is this is Cumberbatch's Daniel Plainview, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It even has like the way Jane Campion kind of shoots it and some of the score and stuff. It kind of gives you a little bit of there will be blood feel like that gotcha. just look and feel. It's, I I highly recommend it. I know it's like a couple of the L.A. and New York you know critics awards have been coming down the pike. This weekend, and and he, you know, he won in New York. I don't think he won in L.A. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, what he what he puts up there, man, is a fucking crying shame. Uh, if I'm doing a fake movie, it's gonna be a fake hit. This is Argo. Actions of Iran have shocked the civilized world. Everything. Our embassy has been seized and more than 60 American citizens continue to be held as hostages. If we're going to go, then we need to go now. What happened? The six of the hostages went out a back exit. Where are they? The Canadian ambassador's house. We've got revolutionary guards going door to door. These people die. They die badly. White House? Who wants the six of them out? What we like for this are bicycles. Deliver the six bikes, provide them with maps. Or you could just send in training wheels and meet them at the border with Gatorade. It's gonna take a miracle to get them out. Funny man, what are we watching? I got an idea. They're a Canadian film crew for a science fiction movie. I fly into Tehran. We all fly out together as a film crew. I need you to help me make a fake movie. So you wanna come to Hollywood and act like a big shot without actually doing anything? Yeah, it'll fit right in. You need a script? Argo, science fantasy adventure. Moonscape, Mars, desert. You need an exotic location to shoot. You need a producer. If I'm doing a fake movie, it's gonna be a fake hit. You don't have a better bad idea than this? This is the best bad idea we have, sir. By far. You have 72 hours to get them out. They're getting a visitor. You've gotten people out this way before? No. You're asking us to trust you with our lives. This is what I do, and I've never left anyone behind. I know who they are, and they know they're hiding out. It's over, Tony. 
they stay here, they will be taken. Probably not alive. We're responsible for these people. I'm responsible. You really believe your little story is going to make a difference when there's a gun to our heads? I think my little story is the only thing between you and a gun to your head. All right, in Argo, acting under the cover of a Hollywood producer scouting a location for a sci-fi film, a CIA agent launches a dangerous operation to rescue six Americans in Tehran during the U.S. hostage crisis in Iran in 1979. All right, first-time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time so technically that's my second time and i don't i don't i don't want to suck at it so if i'm not up to uh, us we together the in the theater yeah. it'd be a weekend but a bing but a boom i was trying to think it was me you mandy who else went with us that night that was it that it was, was just it. three of us grand months? trio grand trio three, three of us. us okay i don't know why i thought there was somebody on the other side opie dopey and mopey the three of us went <laughs> in, came out yeah. we th- i think we set off i think we told each other to go argo fuck ourselves for like like four I, weeks you're walking across yeah walking across parking lot we kept saying argo fuck yourself so yeah yeah we did we we all saw it opening night we had fun with it all right yeah 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 all right let's jump over to live top five rob it's your turn okay i'm feeling kind of basic today Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. I asked for the top five favorite films based on actual events. And before we start, I want to go through my honorable mentions because bet your ass I have some. Uh, number one on my list uh, for honorable mentions is The Wolf of Wall Street, of course. Uh, number two on my honorable mentions is Braveheart. Number three, it just got edged out by, by number five. But my third honorable mention is Hustlers. Very underrated movie. Yeah, you've been you've been touting that. I'm not gonna lie to you, brother. I totally missed the list this week, so I ain't got nothing. I mean, I could. All right, well, that's good. All right, well, shit. But five, then I ain't gonna mean none if I just start rattling them off. I'm just gonna start right, shooting right, out right, biopics right. that I love. I'll just go down my list real quick. Comment if you will. My number five is the Big Sick. Have you seen that? No, 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 no. But I've heard good things, and I know it's like true story about Najani and his wife. Hmm. Yep. Number four, 127 hours. Uh, number three, Argo. Number two, Social Network. And number one, Goodfellas. Yeah. All right, well then. All shit. worthy, I'll say. They made a list. All right. Well then, I think we can jump into the movie.
first thing we see is that old school Warner Brothers logo. Yeah, man. I was going to say, I love that old logo and font. It's pretty, it's a little flashback, like, you know, uh, time machine for me. To a very different time. <laughs> uh, yeah, back back in the big box video days, baby. I, I, I want to say, like, I feel like around this time, because this is what, 2012, I feel like a lot of movies were doing this, like Warner Brothers movies specifically, were showing like that well, old school I mean, logo. It, it's, it's, I, I can't, I can't know, I can't name them off the top of my head, but I feel like there's like three or four other ones that came out around this time that were doing the same thing. It's, um, I mean, it's, I'm not knocking the idea whatsoever because it ties in with the films, you know. Well, you got to, you got to figure it was, it was a logo they would have used in '79. Um, yeah, right. there was something I, I just watched recently, um, that what did the, did the same thing. And I want to say it was a Warner Brothers logo. They got permission. Was to it the nice guys? No, no, no. Although they kind of did the same thing. <laughs> I fucking, yeah. yeah, we, we, we gotta, we, we, you promised we were covering that next year. I love that fucking movie. It's on the list. Okay, great. Um, no, it was just something else I just watched. I can't think of what it was. And I was reading trivia on it and talked about how the director got permission to use, you know, the logo that they had retired like 15 mm-hmm. or 20 years ago. It might have been a Warner Brothers flick. Um, I don't know. It was something I watched in the last week or two. But yeah, it just, it's, 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 it's non anachronistic, if you will. I've done anything that's yes, a fucking yes. word. Um, but yeah, it just, it just works for the time because that's the logo you would have seen at a, at a Warner Brothers picture in 79. And even mm-hmm. the font, you know, you know, for the opening yeah. credits is, is kind of throwback old school. So we get a title card right away, and then we're told through various animations and narrations of the history of Iran, the Persian Empire. So for 2,500 years, it was ruled by a series of kings known as Shahs, and then in 1950, the people elected Muhammad Mossadegh as prime minister, and what he did was nationalize British and U.S. petroleum holdings, returning Iran's oil to its people. And then in 1953, the U.S. and Great Britain engineered a coup d'état. Coup d'état. Coup d'état. Coup d'état. Thank you. Yeah, this that is this is definitely okay. a modern history lesson for anybody under the age of 40. I mean, I was five, you know, going uh, going on six when this happened. So for me, like I have obviously not vivid, but but I still have memories of this being in the public conscious, and this was my first. I'm sure, like, yeah, especially dealings with, uh, with uh, like extremism. When I realized that was that was when I started hearing Ayatollah Khomeini being tossed around as a kid. That's when I realized the world wasn't a safe place. <laughs> that's a tough realization for a seven year old. Well, here's the movie nerd in me coming out when I say that I remember whenever I see him, like, pictures of him like throughout this movie, like the the, the part in the beginning when they're I, they're invading the embassy and the one guy finds the dartboard with darts in his head. Yeah, and he's like, yeah. "Who did this?" Yeah. Whenever I see p- photos of him, I instantly think of Back to the Future Part Two when Marty goes into the 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 nineties the eighties cafe. It's all futuristic, and then he's immediately greeted by like Max Headroom, and then there's a like, Ronald Reagan, and then there's the um, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, and they're right. kind of like batting each other on the TV screen. He's like, "Hey, guys." All the ones a Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Much of my mind goes to. I know it's like, you know, he's a real life, you know, ty- ty- tyrant. I don't know. Nah, like a, a vicious a, leader. Yeah, he was a bastard is what he was. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to make, you know, play with him or whatever. But no, no, no. But, like I said, issue. that was. That's, that's, that's just how I think. When that, that was, that was when I realized that there was evil in the world at six years old. And I heard. 
you know, Ayatollah Khomeini was like, you know, public enemy number one at the time. You know, then I grew older and, and realized exactly, you know, what the hell was going on. And like I said, this film, you know, teaches that lesson in broad strokes. Yeah, I mean, talking about the, there's a, we're told about this Shah who's elected, had a, you know, a, a wife who bathed in milk while he, he had lunches flown in by a cop. Commodore from Paris while the people starved. Uh, real serious fucked up shit. An era of torture and fear then began and he began to campaign to westernize Iran, which enraged that popularization. And then in 79, the people overthrew the Shah and uh, exiled um, cleric Ayatollah Khomeini returned to rule Iran. And then it descended into score settling, death squads, and chaos. The Shah was given asylum in the U.S. while dying of cancer, so the people took to the streets outside the U.S. Embassy to express their outrage and betrayal. They wanted the Shah back so he could be tried and hung. Yeah, man. I mean, they were hanging people in the fucking streets. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's that, there's that famous photograph. We see it you know, in the film. They recreated the it. The yeah, the dude on a crane. Yeah. For real. So based on a true story... U.S. Embassy, Iran, November 4th, 1979 is the text that comes up on screen. And then we get the setup of the embassy takeover and Tehran. 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 And uh, we uh, see Tate Donovan. Bob Anders is mentioning the carnival's bigger today. And then Chris Denham's Mark Lijek. Lijek? Lijek. Questions. Lijek. Questions the bulletproof windows even though they haven't been tested. <laughs> um, and what they're doing, what Affleck's doing here, um, I didn't really, didn't even look to see who his DP is. Hang on a sec. Uh, Rodrigo Prieto, who shot The Irishman. That makes sense. Silence, that also makes sense. And Brokeback Mountain. Okay. So I have an idea of what this guy's work is. Because what he does and I'm sure Affleck had a part in this too because obviously he's the director, is they bounce back from between HD and then 16mm like stock footage, not stock footage, but like footage. Like he messes with like the format with this because we it, it's it's shown because again, like the, old, like the old school WB logo, it's it's you, he is basically taking the viewer and making it so that it's 1979 in their minds, you know. He's just throwing it out there. This is a timepiece. Yeah, it's He's almost. It. It's almost. He's even like- going as. But it's kind of frenetic uh, pacing and editing, but it's like he's bouncing back and forth between what would be newsreel footage and like you know real time, if you will. Yeah, like when we saw this in the theater back in 2012, you know, if he wanted, he wanted to make damn sure that you know me, you, and Mandy were envisioning ourselves in a cinema. In 1979, yeah. 2012, with yeah. the way the film, you know, was made and just everything about this movie so, so far. Um, and then they start burning the files um, just because they're starting to, they, they basically, the, the, this has gotten to a point where they're getting in. They know it. It's just a matter of when. Um because they they're, they're fighting to get through the gates and everything, and then when they finally do one by one, like they just spread out. Like 
I hate to compare them to cockroaches, but you know, it's it's. I'm just comparing like what this the the yeah they visual like, they come in like from a visual the, standpoint. Um, they they pry the bars off the basement window. They come in and they and they do they, they just, scatter. Oh yeah, uh-huh. and they're they're just so, grabbing these you know. For that, they're basically civilian contractors working, you know, working over in Iran. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then, mm. although they're warned, if they shoot one person, it'll be open season, and that tear gas should only be used as last resort purpose. What do they do? Immediately begin throwing and shooting canisters out. Like they, they're just acting on fear yeah. and not thinking things through. The no, man goes outside to try to reason with the crowd, but is immediately taken hostage and blindfolded. Um, and that's kind of another way how to get back in because they, they use him to get open the door. He's just like, he's begging them to open the door. He's like, open the door. Open yeah, I mean, you got you to figure these are, just, these are just the people on the streets. Everybody, everybody yeah. and their grandmother's got an AK-47 but down there. But that's stupid. Just, to go out there and try and quote unquote reason. With That's them. what like, I th- that was. That was just what American. What did you think egotism. was going to happen? They were going to put the yeah, guns he, down he, and listen he, to you. Yeah, like, he, he thought he was Indian dealing. Style. Yeah, he thought he was going to be dealing with like you know a, a rational, you know, a Christian conversation. These are Islamic extremists, man. They're they're coming at you. Full oh, yeah, force. Don't give a fuck about your yeah your yeah and your, your your beliefs and you know let's talk this through. That's not happening. Your no. thoughts and prayers don't mean dick to them. No. So the staff, this is where we see the staff actually rushing down the uh, incinerator and they start burning all the files. Then they uh, get in with the hostages bait and we see more people getting in through the roof and the basement. The power's cut. So the men that's burning everything downstairs, they have to go. He's like, get the shredder. So like, they're on a mission. Like these shit, this shit's got to go one way or another. So um, uh, we see a woman... On the phone, she says, it's done, they're in, as she accepts her fate and allows the men to take her along with the rest of the office. We see the six make it to safety on the street. The six I'm referring to is Tate Donovan, who's Bob Anders, Clea Duvall, who's Cora Lajic, her husband, Mark, Christopher Denham, Scoot McNary. My boy, man. Fucking. Yeah, man. This was, this was, I think, um, this was when I first, like, like when he kind of blipped onto my radar. It is, and, and killing them softly. As well, I was going to say, so this is when he blipped on my radar and then I know I've talked about Andrew Dominic's killing him softly on the show before. Like his performance in that is what made me stand up and take notice. And I'm going to say it right now. Where the fuck is this guy's Oscar? You know what I mean? I, I think, I think he's got one coming down the pike at some point in his career. And I was thinking during watching this the other night, you know, it would be great. Let's put McNary and Rockwell in a movie together. That would be fucking gangbusters. That's worth the price of admission for me right there. Like, we just got to come up with something for these two guys that do for two hours. I would love to see Sam yeah. Rockwell and Scoot McNary, like, play off. That would be great. So, yeah, man, I'd say, like, this is when I first, like, like I didn't know who he was, and then suddenly I did, and then shebanga. You know, killing him softly in those scenes with him and Ben Mendelsohn. I'm like, man, this kid is going places. 
Did you watch A Quiet Place Part 2? Uh, no, is he in that? He pops up in it. Yeah, Does it's he? It's like a cameo. Does he? Okay, I'm have to give it a Yeah. Run. Yeah, it's on, it's on the voodoo. Yeah, I know. I know. You got it on there. So, Carrie Biche is his wife, Kathy. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. I Biche. think it's Bichet. Bichet, okay. The hyphen over the E. That makes sense. Okay. And then Rory Cochran. Yeah, looking like a great value, Sonny Bono. Who we love so much. I feel like I wanted to, just, I, I feel like just saying, friend of the podcast. Rory yeah, he kind of is. We talk man. about him so much. Yeah. And he's the last of the six, uh, Lee Scats, or Lee Schatz. And then, uh, we cut to the State Department, seventh floor of Titus Welliver, as they're briefed on the invasion of the U.S. Embassy. And then we see the six. They go to the Canadian ambassador's residence in Tehran. Tehran? Tehran? Tehran. I'm, I'm just Tehran. Thank you. Uh, played by Victor Garber's Ken Taylor. Yeah. Who, all right, two things. One, uh, this is a really big historical inaccuracy because in real life, they didn't get to the ambassadors until about six days of being on the streets. So mm-hmm. they didn't go, like, they didn't leave the embassy and go right to the Canadian ambassador. Like, no, they were, like, refugees on the streets for, like, six days, and then they found themselves, you know, back. However they found themselves there, that's when they eventually got to the ambassadors which of course was also kind of different as well because they were split between two houses and there was a courtyard that they could they were able to go outside and whenever they wanted to so the whole thing where they couldn't go outside that was just you know a play for yeah there's he course. does there's there's a lot of uh, oh, there are. creative there are. storytelling in this with i mean at oh, the yeah. end of the at it's the end movie. of the day um you know and they kind of cover their ass at the end the way they the, the way they try to play it like the a snake cover up. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but the you know Garber's character was the real hero in this story. He, I was he stole the words Mendes. right from my mouth. I was going to say you know, his, Ken Taylor was, was the true hero. Yeah, he was definitely the true hero in this. Now, one thing one thing I wanted to talk about was right before this scene is you know when the six are kind of like hold up like they're in the panic before they leave the embassy and they're in that little room and yep. um. And the one guy's just like, we're in America right now. No, you're not. You're in a room that those <laughs> extremists don't give a fuck who owns the building. But right. he's like, well, no, no, no. They can't do this to us. We're in America right now. This little this little six square feet of a, of a ran is American. Like, that ain't going to make a fucking lick of difference when they cross the nope. door jam, bro. <laughs> you know? They don't care about imaginary borders. No, sure, no, man. not at all. It's just an invisible line. They right. don't care. Right. They're going to cross it no matter what. Um, and there's something else I wanted to mention, too. Um, shit, it'll come to me, I'm sure. Okay. So, Bob Gunn, Secretary of State, is told that six escaped, even though he heard five before Joe's wife, Kathy, joined the group. They question what's next. They, they, they question, yeah, they question what next. If they should start a rescue mission, etc., and then at the White House, everyone's just running rampant. We got Kyle Chandler, who's playing a spitting image of uh, Chief of Staff Hamilton Jordan. Yeah. Check out that guy's actual picture and look at uh, Kyle Chandler. It's like holy shit! Yeah, yeah a match made in heaven. The way yeah, every the, with the, with the exception of Affleck as Tony Mendez, he did a pretty spot on job of making everybody look like their character. 
Yeah, because, you know, you get ahead of ourselves, but who cares that they add the end credits? They have the cool split photos of like the yeah, always, size always, the, the real always, life always like person. Do that. And, yeah. and one thing one, one thing uh that i like that he shows that i i distinctly remember when i was young is the yellow ribbons around the tree that was a thing back in the day like there was there there were people were tying these yellow ribbons around the tree in honor of you know the hostage crisis i remember seeing that like going to school and stuff you know, in my neighborhood and just like all over the place, these yellow ribbons being tied around tree trunks um, in right. honor uh, of these, you know, uh, dozens of hostages that were that were held over there for a better part of a year. Um, that, yeah, it would have been, you know, around 79 and 80. Like, and I used to think it was from the, the Tony Orlando song, you know, tie a yellow yeah, ribbon. Yeah, right, right. Because when I was little, I didn't know what yeah, it meant. I'd ask my dad, and he's like, well, that whole thing with the Ayatollah, and that's kind of our way of keeping everybody in our hearts. And that's when I started putting together, like, man, the world's kind of fucked up. <laughs> that, was, that was the 1979 way of sending thoughts and prayers. Yeah, yeah. They literally they literally did that. I remember, you know, seeing that, you know, Charles Myron. So... Jordan here labels it a den of espionage over there. When asked about the six who escaped, he says that the embassy's got 60 of their people with guns to their heads, and the whole world is watching them right now. He says they're sticking to the plan with the bedridden Shah. Meanwhile, some of them are uh, some are downplaying the entire thing, saying it could end in just 24 hours. Jordan says they're leaving the six where they are before leaving to brief the president. Um... 69 days later, and nothing has been resolved. Bringing in Ben Affleck's Tony Mendez, who's asleep in a suit while the news on the TV is confirming. Uh, it gives us uh, an update on the situation over in Iran and how Ayatollah Khomeini was been heightened, has been given heightened security outside of his home. Phone rings, and he wakes up and answers it, and we cut to him arriving at the CIA, CIA headquarters in Virginia, He's brought in as an exfil exfil option. He heads up to see Brian Cranston's Jack O'Donnell and is told of the six at the Canadian Ambassadors. But now they've got limited time before they're exposed and people begin actively looking for them. Now, if I'm I'm not mistaken, didn't they either A, that lobby scene actually film in Langley, or B, they they finally got CIA permission to recreate it in its full authenticity. I think I read that somewhere. Like this is the first film to depict that, you know, that that lobby of you know the CIA headquarters in Langley. Like either either Affleck got permission to film there, or they were able to to fully duplicate it for the first time on screen. Have you read that? Do you have you heard that? No, no, I haven't. It's, I I I think I, I think I saw it in like a documentary or something. Gotcha. I could be wrong, but I but it just it's I mean obviously it looks very authentic. Um, so right. I'm pretty sure that was that was kind of a sticking point when it came to production of the film. Uh, O'Donnell mentions that they're using sweatshop workers like kids uh, to re- reassemble shredded material because some genius kept the mug book when everyone working at the embassy. So. And then he said that the, if they, they, they want to get him out of there before uh, they're found and probably executed, he says he calls it standing room only for beheadings in the square. Yeah, pretty much. Good dialogue. Is, yeah, is, is, is it in this where uh, Dunn Affleck delivered a line, something like Peter Jennings, you'll have Peter Jennings' head on a noose in an hour? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. 
Um, and then there's a briefing on the six, accompanied by super some really nice super eight visuals of each person as they're being individually introduced. Um, the solution is pikes. So, what we like for this are bicycles. We've identified back roads from the Shemaran district. A couple of rat lines through the mountains to the crossing near Tabriz. Cars are off the table because of the roadblocks. We wait till the weather clears up, then deliver the six bikes, provide them with maps to the Turkish border. We have intelligence. They can ride bicycles, or we're prepared to send in somebody to teach them. Or you could just send in training wheels and meet them at the border with Gatorade. It's 300 miles to the Turkish border. They'd need a support team following them with a tire pump. We were just asked to sharpshoot this. State is handling the op. I'm sorry, who is this? Tony's an Exville special. Got a lot of the Shaw's people out after the fall. Sir, if these people can read or add, pretty soon they're going to figure out they're six short of a full deck. It's winter. You can't afford to wait around till spring, so it's nice enough to take a bike ride. The only way out of that city is the airport. You build new cover identities for him, you send in a Moses, he takes him out on a commercial flight. We've explored those options. They're never going to get past airport control. Comité own the place. Well, they could pose as reporters. The government issued 70-something visas for American journalists. And the Revolutionary Guards keep them on 74 leashes. If they're caught with fake journalist creds, it's Peter Jennings' head in a noose in an hour. Look, North American accents gives us limited options, so we get the Canadians to issue them passports. What about English teachers at the international school? It's a good idea, but that school's been closed for eight months. Okay, so how about the do-gooders? Six Canadians have been over there inspecting crops, making sure the kids get enough to eat. We give them creds, makes them look like ag NGOs. It's a be-the-kids thing. Okay, those kids are black. Those are African kids. We can get ethnically appropriate kids. Are there starving kids in Iran? I'm sure there's some skinny kids in Iran. So what about uh, mission logo with seeds? Called it's called Seeds of Hope. Hold on. Sir, do you have this newspaper in front of you? Would you mind taking a look at it? What's in this picture? Tehran. Right, what's on the ground? Snow. Right. So what crops are the do-gooders inspecting under Frosty? Sir, exfils are like abortions. You don't want to need one. But when you do, you don't do it yourself. You have a better plan? No, sir. 300 miles yeah. to the Turkish border, and they want to fucking. <laughs> yeah, he's like, we're going to take we, we bikes need a team following with a fucking air pump, for Christ's yeah. sakes. Ride bikes for 300 miles across Iran. That's like rocky desert terrain, man. You can't ride a bike for 300 miles. Uh, Especially a Schwinn from 1978. And then they're talking about. Why did I write this quote down? I just wrote down randomly Are there skinny kids in Iran? Why did I write that down? It's got oh, this um, scene. Someone says it, I think. That's why I wrote it down. Oh, shit. No, they were, they, were, they were talking. It, they, it was like they were trying to come up with covers, and it was like uh, they, they, were there to, they were there to check the agriculture and, mm, mm-hmm. and make sure the kids are eating right. She's like, are there skinny kids in Iran? And then that's when Affleck lays out the... Uh, 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 the newspaper and he's like, "What do you see here?" He's like, "You know, it's winter time. There's frost. 
they're, they're, yeah. there's going to be no agriculture for them to check. Because that's what know, I have here. Yeah, I, I, that's why I wrote down. I didn't cut you off. I just have it in my next note here. After some deliberation and an idea to get them fed, what it is. Food that involves crops, except that it's winter. Right. And that's when Tony tells the room that exfils are like abortions. You don't want you don't want to want you don't want to need one, but when you do, you don't want to do it yourself. But when right. asked if he has a better plan, he says no, as no. the scene fades to black. So we cut the Tony driving home, intercut with hostage threats to blow up the embassy, as well as the workers placing strips of photos back together. We then see the six arguing at dinner before sudden rumblings and helicopters force them into the Hidden cellar compartment. Let's talk about this small thing that they've got to hide down into. That's like a fucking box, Sean. Did you see that thing they got to go down into and hide? And yeah, it's yeah, it's it's literally like a little. I think it's made like, for like, like one or two people, cellar. and there's six of them. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. And to think, I'm pretty sure, like in real life, they probably had to hide down there for like X amount of hours at at, at certain points, maybe even oh, I'm days. Sure. It's that's just when you actually stop to think. You know, put yourself like, yeah, in the shoes. Yeah, the, or, the ordeal that these six people had to, it's not you know, pleasant. had to live through. I mean, it was, you know, weeks of just nonstop terror, man. They probably slept, you know, four hours in, in the course of a week, you know what I mean? Not, I mean, you got to think about it. Like, okay, it's, it's it's this big people have the argument, oh, what do they got to be sad about? They're like held up in this nice, you know, ambassador's mansion, yada, yada. Okay. Number one, in real life, it wasn't like that, like I mentioned before. Number yeah. two, you still got to think about the element of fear, and you got to truly put yourself in one's shoes and think, okay, one sudden move, if one out of us six makes the dumbest move, and any anyone can make a stupid move at any moment, they can be caught. And when they're caught, dude, when they're caught, Sean, it's a public execution. Like, yeah, yeah, there's, it, yeah, and, there's, and they're they're, they're not going to hold back. It's going to be the worst death you can envision. For real, and yeah, that's kind of these and, and, the and these shit and, out and, of and, you. Yeah, these these aren't like you know uh, civil servants or government elected officials. These are just angry civilians with automatic weapons that have formed a street militia going door to door, hunting down any you know any pale skin they can find. Right, and yeah. I haven't even and, gotten to Sahar yet. You yeah. know, there's yeah. so many elements to this. It's like it's not just you know being you know cooped up in a nice look a nice house. It's 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 all it's a little bit beyond that. So. You're living on the razor. You're basically spending every moment on the razor's edge. Yep, exactly. So, um, we get actual news footage of Americans. This happens a lot throughout this movie. That's another thing I like that Affleck does is he incorporates actual news footage from this situation, you know, 40 plus years back. So we see it here of Americans telling reporters how they feel about the people of Iran and the hostage ordeal overall. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend anyone. I don't mean to piss off anyone. So ahead of time before this comment comes out of my mouth, I apologize. Truly, I do. But am I not the only, am I the only one who's getting Trump vibes Watching this scene of the news footage of like people from America like talking about how like this is our country, you know. I was I was waiting for one of them to say like magma or something at some point. I, I mean, I I, I didn't I, I didn't you know liken it to you know the current political uh, or you know recent political climate, but you know I likened it to just 
you know, late 70s American patriotism back then. I mean, it's we hadn't had a war in a little bit. And, you know, as far as the good old boys over here were concerned, this looked like we might be gearing up for war. They they, they took our boys hostage. America, fuck yeah. You know what I mean? So that's that's more where that was coming from is, you know, these guys were, you know, especially them, you know, uh, your 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 red states down south, man. They were they were itching for a reason to to load up on their guns and ammo, just like the Iranians were in the streets. Like they can do it, we can do it. Let's go over there and kick their asses, you know. So I didn't so much take a whole you know Trump MAGA thing from it, but I mean, if you want to look at it, I guess. And I'm not a very political person. Um, Me neither. What 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 that whole you know Trump support group was doing recently was liken to that you know that good old patriotic American from back in the 70s that voted for Jimmy Carter you know um, but I mean you know again who am I I was five back then so you know I'm, well, I'm speaking on speculation it's nice to see that nothing's changed anyway <laughs> <laughs> so we have Tony calling his son and then they're having some father-son bonding as they watch the same sci-fi movie together which is planet of the apes while talking i about think they're school. watching uh beyond they're watching beyond planet of the apes oh it's beyond okay yeah it's not the, the first makeup. one yeah it's yeah it's it's not the first one but it's it's i think it's either rise i'm pretty sure it's beyond planet of the apes uh so i like this idea a lot this 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 movie Oh, and by the way, the, the watching the film with his son gives him an idea, which cuts to the next scene. We'll get to that in a sec. I feel, I, I like this being a parent myself. It's like, if he can't be there, he's at least there. They do this thing where, and I think it's unique and special, where they turn the same TV on. I'm, you know, it, it, you know, watching it's watching nuts. the same movie. Watching watch the, the same film. movie. I was, I was thinking about something else while trying to speak. But, you know, yeah, this, they're, they're at least watching the same thing together. It's kind of like being together overall um it's it's something it's different i like it it's like the equivalent to facetime today you know today's yeah. standards um yeah. and then i have here in my notes i feel like this scene was part of a reshoot because affleck's hair is noticeably different or shorter yeah i just, didn't i just, didn't just a stray observation that's all um I didn't so notice. we get tony pitching his fake movie idea to the room to get the six back home unharmed um, and then we got Bob being ridiculed for going outside to have a quick smoke. Bob is a bit of an asshole. <laughs> that's, well, Tate uh, that's, 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 I was going to say it's Tate Donovan, right? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, ex Miss Jennifer Aniston, or Mr. Ex Jennifer Aniston, right? I guess. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Right. Uh, I wanted, yeah, to, say, I wanted was, to say yeah, Sandra yeah. Bullock, but I'm like, no, that was Love Push number nine. Right, right, okay. right. Yeah. All right. So anyway. Uh, Iran terrorists are being alerted of the number of embassy workers that uh, that they don't match the number of hostages. Um, and then we have O'Donnell, this is uh, Brian Cranston, calling Tony to tell him that his idea got approved. Be careful. The whole country's watching you. They just don't know it. Love that line. <laughs> and then we are introduced to fucking John Goodman. Goodman is just it's it's the John it's the John Chambers introduction. 
I just, I love John Goodman in this. He's just the best. He even has this badass introduction that brings us into Tony's arrival to Hollywood, set to the Rolling Stones' little TNA. Yeah, I like when, yeah, because, like, they, uh, he's, uh, they, they're on the set of the of the shitty monster movie, and they they uh, yeah, yeah. they come to get they come to get Chambers, and he's like the actor needs you to work on the makeup. He's he's finding it uh, hard to act. He's restricted. He's like if he could act, he wouldn't be playing a Minotaur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we cut. You got Tony and uh, Chambers in his trailer. Tony says it's an exfil from the worst place you can think of. He tells he's him about like, the uh, six. Universal City. <laughs> just yeah. gives him a copy of Time Magazine. Tells him about the six, and Tony tells him he needs some uh, help making a fake movie. So, so you, you want to come to Hollywood acting like a big shot like without a actually big doing shot anything? Without really doing anything? Yeah, you'll fit right you'll fit in. fit right in. <laughs> Love this shit. Uh, the two, they're going over the six's backgrounds, um, trying to pinpoint who can act as who as for... It's for the production of this faux movie. And then Chambers essentially tells them they need the, they need someone with credentials to produce the movie for free. Um, the one line I like here is like, you can teach someone to be a director in a day. You can teach a Reese's monkey Reese's to be a director, a be a director in a day. <laughs> Enter Alan Arkin's Lester Siegel. Yeah. I fucking adore this man and everything uh, he does Mark in this is film. A national treasure. Every scene he's in just electrifies the film. Even if it's for a brief 90 seconds. He's yeah, just... He does, man. He knows his shit. He's like, what, almost 90 years old, but he still knows how to sell his He's, bits, he's playing man. the role, dude. Like, it, it, yeah, it's Lester Siegel, but dude, it's Alan Arkin. You know? Arkin's great. Love Alan Arkin. And he's uh, on his way to a premiere. And doesn't go with the pitch until he stands up to put his coat on. And Chambers directs him to the television that's showing events on the news by asking if he ever wonders if they're showing this for the ratings. They watch a scared American about to be uh, publicly executed where Lester has to change a heart and says, go to read a script. script. So then yep. we get the six interacting after dinner when they hear uh, gunshots outside. The maid of the house, Sahar, mentions of the ambassador's wife to the ambassador's wife that their Canadian friends never go outside after being there for so long. She then tells her husband that she she said yeah, she tells Ken that Sahara knows. So we got some script searching at the poolside with Lester and Chambers. Lester getting Chambers to rent an office out of their fake production. Um if I'm doing a fake movie, it's gonna be a fake hit. Meanwhile, Jack and Tony are on the phone together, and it's told that he's essentially got 72 hours to make his rescue mission idea better than a couple of other heavy ones that are being that are about to be pitched. So they still have to sell this idea to the CIA. Right. Um, so when they hang up, Tony finds the script just sitting there on the table for Argo, a space fantasy set in the Middle East, which in real life it was not called Argo. The CIA called it Argo. Do you know what it was actually called? No, I don't. If you give me one second, I'll tell you what it was. It was called Lord of Light. Ah, uh, okay. So, um, so Lester takes Tony to see Max Klein at the WGA. Who is Max Klein in this movie? That's uh, Richard Kind. 
That's right. Richard Kind be a Max Klein. Kind of rhymes. Kind of. Yeah, it's fucking always cool when he shows up. He's always like hyperkinetic. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. On the verge of a fucking nervous breakdown. <laughs> he was in that Richard movie. Like, me, and jo- me and Justin were talking about that movie Clifford, man. You got to see it. Yeah, fucking <laughs> Klein Kind's in it. He plays Richard. He plays uh, Martin Short's father. Awesome. I've I, I've seen the film. I just didn't like the film. Well, rewatch the film. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> so he tells Lester he took the meeting out of respect because he wanted to say no to his face and that he's finished and to get his cataracts fixed to read the trades. He says MGM closed capitalized for six new films and they're screaming for sci-fi and offering four times what they've got. Lester says it worries him that he said it worries him what he said because he was sitting at Trader Vic's enjoying a Mai Tai the other day when his pal Warren Beatty came in and said that his new film Zulu Empire was going to be the big anchor for MGM's upcoming slate but it's going over budget and now the crew want to unionize so the deal's kaput which means the deal don't mean dick and you can go fuck yourself with all due respect come here come here please sit up Give my love to Ruthie, Lester. How's she doing? She died. Ah, geez, I'm sorry. Nine years ago. Well, you know how it is, Lester. You know, we got a lot on our minds in this business. So, you want to go into production with this in one month? Up like a carny ride. One month, yeah. Who are you again? Kevin Harkins, Studio Six Films. He's the money. Look, what do you say, uh, 15,000, let's close on this. You want me to be honest with you, Les? No, I would like you to bullshit me, Max. All right. I enjoyed your films, the early ones. I took this meeting out of respect because I wanted to say no to your face. Thank you. Very respectful. You're finished, Lester. Get your cataracts fixed. Read the trades. MGM just capitalized for six new films. They're screaming for sci-fi. They're offering me four times what you guys are offering. Well, what can I say? Congratulations. But see, it kind of worries me what you're saying. Let me tell you why. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in Trade of Vicks. I was enjoying a Mai Tai when my pal Warren Beatty comes in. He wishes me well. We had a little chat. Seems he was attached to star in Zulu Empire, which was going to anchor that MGM slate. But Warren confided in me that the picture's gone over budget because the Zulu extras want to unionize. They may be cannibals, but they want health and dental so the movies can put. Which means that the MGM deal ain't gonna happen and your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. So, the way it looks to me, through the cataracts I grant you, is that you can either sign here and take $10,000 for your toilet paper script, or you can go fuck yourself. With all due respect. You, they go outside and he's like, you really know Warren Beatty? Yes, I do. Yeah, it took a leak to him took next to him once in the Golden Globes. Taco? <laughs> it's good to end. It's good to end. Utah, give me two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we got Lester and Tony eating their tacos on the uh, WB lot. And they're talking about their kids and how they have their, their jobs have consumed their times together. Is eating tacos on the step of a building the right or wrong way to enjoy a delicious taco from Del Taco? 
Uh, I mean, I, well, I've I've never had a delicious taco from Del Taco, so Me I neither. wouldn't know the right or wrong way. I mean, you but eat tacos more tacos. Aside. You eat more well, tacos than I do. I mean, these things don't fall apart like them shitty Taco Bell box you brought over here the other night. I know, I know, I know. You know, so like I, I can't imagine problem last night. That's that's the thing. I, I I can't imagine eating a taco just like sitting on on the steps. It's just such a fucking a hot dog is one thing. Taco, I need a taco. table, a plate, like six fucking napkins. Yeah, hot dog and taco. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but. uh yeah, no, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it kind of works in the concept that a film they're just you know sitting around the steps having lunch, and the tacos do look good, but you know how are they not falling apart all over their nice suits? You know, I don't know. I mean, it looked pretty. I don't know. Uh, I've, I've never had a on del the taco. step of a building. I, tacos aside, just eating food on the step of a building, like never tried. It's that a movie. Before. It's it's a real movie thing to do. It's got to be because I've never seen it's, it in real life. I've seen it in plenty of movies, but never in real life. Yeah, it's it's a great. It's when you need an expository dialogue scene, just you know, have them stop at a food truck and sit on some steps. <laughs> you know, that's all you need is about ninety seconds of that, and you'll move on right along to the next scene. All right, so then we got Jack informing Tony that the airport staff has increased due to uh, the Shah's chief of security trying to jump on a plane to Paris, which means thorough background information should be inspected. He needs another week, but he does not have it. So in the producer's building on set, Tony tells Chambers and Lester that they've got an office, business cards, and a poster. Six people's lives depends on this, and it's not big enough. Chambers says he did a film once with Rock Hudson. He remembers us to sell a lie, let the press sell it for you, which cues up the script reading event at the Beverly Hilton. Yeah, and everybody's you know everybody's in costume. You got the Adrian Barbeau cameo. Sp- Adrian Barbeau cameo. Keep that fucking space witch away from me. <laughs> yes, it was just like I was married to her once. Oh God! Yeah, I keep love how that it's space all... switch away from me. I feel like Van Halen's "Dance the Night Away" can heighten any scene. No yeah, what. it really does. I always thought that too. Like it just it helps it helps the uh, you know the edit just kind of jive together. It makes it really gel. You know, and, um, with that opening guitar riff, I love it. Yes, Luster's trying to be interviewed by this kid. There's this guy. I say kid, but it's more of a young guy. He's um. I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he was in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He was the guy who essentially tells Scott about um, Ramona Flowers at the at the house party scene. Um, kind of playing the same role here, just dry, just kind of like that hipster-ish type. And he's trying to find, ask him, you know, what Argo means. And, you know, he's like, oh, so it's, like, it's like the Argo lot or whatever. And he's like, no. No, like, what, it's the name of the it? ship that goes like, all oh, over space. It means I'll go fuck yourself. Right. That's where that's where he coins it. He goes, yes. I'll go fuck yourself. Now what does the title refer to? It's the Argo. It's the thing. Like Jason and the Golden Fleece or what? No, no, it's the ship. It's the it's the spaceship. It goes it goes everywhere. It goes all all throughout space. So it's the Argonaut? No. What does Argo mean? I don't know. You don't know? It means I'll go fuck yourself. Mouthful of food, trying to get away from the reporter. Right, just he just says, wants to get the hell away go from fuck him. yourself. I love it. So the actual yeah. script reading takes place, and everyone is also watching a new report. Well, oh news. shit! Hold on, hold oh, on. I, I just 
uh, oh my God, we miss when when they uh when they go to have the storyboards drawn up. Who's the fucking who's the guy doing the storyboards? One scene. Did you catch it? Wait. But right but right before the press event when he has the storyboards and and the and, and, and the promotional art drawn up. It's Michael Parks. Oh he Jack Kirby, right? I guess is that supposed to be he's, Jack he's Kirby. Supposed, I, I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be Jack. Because I, I saw didn't know his who he was supposed to be. But it's, yeah, it is Jack Kirby. I was it's like, supposed to Michael Parks. Parks. I guess yeah. it's like, can you miss it thing. I it's, yeah, it's just that one scene. He's got like one line of dialogue, but it's I like Tony. So note taking. I, I missed it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's either either Tony or or, or Chambers goes to it's, pick it's, up this story. Yeah storyboards and it's michael parks i didn't know he was playing jack kirby though yeah it's jack kirby okay yeah because then and then like you said when it when it opens up with you know dance the night away it's that's where i made a note like i don't know why but i'm a sucker for these like sweeping kind of la 70s disco shots when these when these scenes are built you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely when 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 the soundtrack and 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 (laughs) not like the mini montage kind of come together it swoops you up in a moment. You feel like you just did a little bump of key, bump of cocaine off of your car key. You montage, know I mean? you say? <laughs> montage, you know. Montage. Um, so yeah, I'd, 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 I like that like whole glitzy, sweepy LA disco montage to dance the night away. But yeah, like this, this is one of this would have been one of Michael Parks' last appearances. Yeah, that's, that's about right. So with the actual script reading, that's um, intercut. With a um, the report, which is uh, features a room full of hostages being no, I'm sorry, the news report, and then all that's intercut uh, with a room full of hostages being woken up and bagged as the fire squad is messing with them yeah. to make them cry that's, and beg. It's a fucking, it's got to be their sense of amusement. Terrifying. And then at the end yeah. of the script read, they got a brief scene of celebration, followed by an argo fuck yourself. Argo uh, fuck yourself. So we cut to the office of the Secretary of State on January 25th, 1980, as Tony and O'Donnell deliver their pitch to Philip Baker Hall and Bob Gunn. It's like talking to those two old fucks on the Muppets. Aliens and robots? Yes, sir. You're telling me that there is a movie company in Hollywood right now that is funded by the CIA? Yes, sir. What's wrong with the bikes again? We tried to get the message upstairs, sir. You think, you think this is more plausible than teachers? Yes, we do. One, there are no more foreign teachers in Iran. And we think everybody knows Hollywood people. And everybody knows they'd shoot in Stalingrad with Paul Pot directing if it would sell tickets. There are only bad options. It's about finding the best one. You don't have a better bad idea than this? This is the best bad idea we have, sir. By far. The United States government has just sanctioned your science fiction movie. Thank you, sir. So they prefer the bike method, of course, but <laughs> in the end, Idiots. this is the best bad idea it's we have, It's the best sir, bad idea we have, sir. Science fiction movie sanctioned. And Tony places his wedding band down on his dresser and is then driven to the airport by O'Donnell, who reminds him before leaving that if he is detained, the U.S. will not claim him. They barely do as it is, he says. He's like, they barely do as it is. 
So Tony calls Chambers to inform him that their plan has been greenlit, and he calls his son, but no answer. So he leaves a happy birthday postcard to him uh, instead before boarding his plane to Iran. Then the six... We got cut to back cut back to the six. Joe's watching TV when his wife Kathy comes in to ask him to come to bed with her. He asks for five more minutes and then he pleads to Mark that he can't believe he put his wife in this position and that he thinks they're all going to die. Yeah, well, because Joe's and that's Scoot McNary's character, he's Yes. He's he's basically the only one that speaks Farsi. So he's kind of translating right. you know, for the for the rest of the crew. And I made a note like you know, and this, I don't mean to offend anybody, you know, old, that, that speaks that language, but that is an ugly, ugly, just like, it's just a mean sounding language, isn't it? Farsi? Yeah. Like, just like, yeah. it's like, it's like they're just constant, like, somebody speaking Farsi sounds it, like they're just constantly fucking pissed off at the other guy. Is it the language or is it the, the people? The dialect? The I, I, I guess it's a combination of both because, you know, it's a different caste culture over there. So they're a little more aggressive. They're not portrayed Especially as the type. men, you know. But right. like, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I worked in the wireless industry for a long time. So I worked around a lot of people that, that spoke Farsi and it's, it's kind of like curt and abrupt, like, 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 like German or Austrian is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just roll off the tongue and, and make music to your ears like French or Italian, you know, like Farsi is just like, especially when they get to that screaming match in the street, man, like you just think you can pop off at any second. Somebody starts yelling at you in Farsi. But yeah, that's the point I wanted to make was that uh, McNary's Joe character is, you know, his whole thing in the, in, 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 in the game is, is that, you know, he was Basically, I'm, I'm guessing he was a translator, which is why he was in the embassy. I guess, and then he just yeah. kind of brought his wife in because he had to move and she was looking for work. And it was more because she's basically just like data entry secretarial shit is what he says. Yeah, she's the reason they initially thought that there was only five that got out. But then they're like, no, it's six because she was the six, Kathy. Yeah, she was just like like a receptionist or whatever. Yeah. She wasn't like, nobody. You know, she wasn't like an analyst or no. or, 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 or nobody know, important. Or, and yeah, anybody really worked for the State Department. All right, so then we see Sahar. She watches an execution taking place right outside in the alleyway. Looks like soldiers killing a family man. Um, you shoot him right in the belly. Yeah. As to the why. I'm assuming they're just trying to find the six. They are. That's the, they're just going like door to door. And they suspect that he's hiding there. So and if you know, you could be as honest as you want. It's a, it's up to the dude with the gun. It's up to his whim. And he yeah. just, you know, he's got th- three dudes, and the one guy in the middle just, you know, raises up his, you know, his AK and pop pop shoots a guy right in the belly. All right. Um, so then Tony arrives as Kevin Harkins and meets with his contact, Peter Nichols. He's told about the heightened security and how everyone entering the country needs to fill out a slip that they verify when leaving. Tony realizes that they look, they'll see that they didn't enter with six, that he didn't enter with six others again, if they look. Tony then goes, oh, goes to the Iran consulate, consulate, as, uh, Iranian consulate in Turkey to explain his purpose there to kiss the ring as Nichols put it in the last scene 
he gets his approval. Then the Herald and other outlets now know of the six, so it's only a matter of time before they're exposed if the sweatshop workers don't beat them to it. Tony arrives in Iran and checks checks in at the customs terminal. Meanwhile, a man is suddenly yelling with a little girl. She's seen crying as Tony leaves. He goes outside and hails a cab to the Tehran office to seek further approval from the minister. On the way, we get that uh, portrayal of the the man being hung from the crane. We see yeah, that man. actually, yeah. Um, and and, he's, a, and and he he does that side by side shot at the end during the credits show. Yeah, the yeah. Actual, see, they show that. Yes, the yeah. actual press footage of that too is fucked up. So we had a quick shot of Lester outside of his office late bouncing a ball to himself as another producer walks by and compliments him for his stamina and late work and hours. He tells him he's 150 and wouldn't be him. He said, I, I want to be you. He's like, I'm 150 years old. You wouldn't be me for you too long. You wouldn't be me very long. So Tony meets with the Canadian ambassador and the two talk about everything in his car. He gives Tony their unstamped passports before informing Tony of Sahar. So he tells him sooner the better. Then he drives them back to his home where Tony is introduced to the six. He me um he hands them scripts, which Bob scuffs at. They all immediately doubt Tony's plan. Their initial reaction pisses me off every time I watch this movie. Because they're just so ungrateful in my I, yeah, it's, it, I mean, they I, just I act so like a ball. I get it. It's a, I get it. It's a bit out of left field. Like you know, you, it's nothing you'd ever thought of in a million years. But hey, at least somebody came up with something for you. Here's the you thing. know what I mean. They have no options, and they're given their only option. So they scuff at it. Tony, go save yourself, brother. That's how <laughs> I feel when I watch this scene. You know. I mean, I'm serious. Like, I understand, you know, it goes back to, you know, put yourself in their shoes, and I do. And it's like, you still got to be grateful in in some sort of sense. Uh, Well, yeah. I I can't imagine a real life if they were this way to Tony. Then again, in real life, Tony was only there for a day and a half. Let's let the record be known. Yeah, he just kind of, he just kind of like got this, organized it all, you know. He put all, he put all the moving pieces into place. He came in to get them out, and that was it. Yeah, it was. It in was in the more, most literal sense there is to get them. Yeah, out. yeah. It was. It was the Canadian embassy to put the whole thing together. So he explains to them that they need to immediately start. That they need to immediately start uh, learning their aliases, and that he'll be back in the morning. So actual news reports from the incident. Lester mentions John Wayne being in the ground for only six months, and this is what's right. left with America. Right. So then they have the location scout at the Grand Bazaar at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, the Grand Bazaar is the hive, as Tony puts it. It's like walking right into the, the, the lion's den. It really is, man. I mean, the tension in that whole scene for what it runs probably five, almost ten minutes is really powerful. Oh, yeah. It's really Like, yeah. you know, especially being like the only white focal in the street knowing every fucking eye is on you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... <laughs> You know, you, you kind of sense the paranoia and, and, you know, all the actors are doing a good job of selling it too, like all the, you know, quick side glances and shit, especially, you know, Rory Cochran's character, like Lee's the viewfinder, Lee, Lee, Lee shots. Just, yeah. He's like, um, he's like a oh, mic when it, it worked better. You look through the other end, you know, um, but yeah, like like Cochran's character, Lee Shots is just like, so he's so unsure. Well, him and McNary both, um, but like, they're just 
they do a good job of selling the panic and and just uncertainty of their of their fate like every moment with these guys that you know you feel like they think it's their last moment on earth they need to pretend to be a crew because the people suspect something again the reaction from some of these people who have no other options to begin with Tony flat out asks for their trust and he's told he's not trusted by Joe so the ambassador's wife gets a call but no one is on the other end while getting ready to look any while getting ready um to look anything like their passports Cora tells her husband Mark that she's scared and then they embrace he hugs her um and then Tony gets the van big enough. He gets a van that's big enough for the crew and picks them up. And he gets to the ambassador's home and immediately goes back to the kitchen where Joe and Kathy are. He explains that this is what he does. He gets people out before revealing his real name and who he really is. He promises to Joe that he will get them out tomorrow If, as we cut to the seven. Hold, they're heading downtown and they encounter a crowd in the street. One that surrounds them in this part. This crowd literally, like, just engulfs them. Yeah, they, so, they, they've, they've stormed the streets. <laughs> yeah, Tony's got no other option but to slowly drive through the streets still, through the crowd. And they're they hammered on the angrily beating van. it, spitting on the vehicle, rattling it, shaking it. Tony questions everyone of... Who they are on the rest of the who they are the rest of the way. Yeah, he starts grilling them, them on their on, yeah. on their background identity. Which is smart. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah kill so them, they man. arrive at the scout location and the man who greets them asks Bob, who's acting as the director, if his film is one where a foreign bride is brought to Iran but she doesn't understand the language and customs and there are misunderstandings and laughs. This is something that Bob doesn't respond. I thought this is clever. Um not, maybe, maybe not clever, but that's not the right word I'm looking for. Um, I, I like this, though, because if you listen to it, with the, the situation that the man explains to Bob, the awkward laugh, just not understanding what he's saying or what it is, and just kind of awkward laughs and brushes it off that way, that's exactly what Bob does in response to his overall narrative here. Did you pick up on that? Not not really. I mean, I took it... I did, I, I, I took it where Bob was just like brushing off. He's like, uh, yeah, we're not making a romantic comedy. We're making a sci-fi movie. Ha, but that's the go. point. That's the point, though, because that's what the guy was telling him. You know, he's asking him if it's a movie where there's a foreign bride and she's brought to Iran, but she doesn't understand the language and customs and then right. just laughs, laughs at misunderstandings. And that's exactly what this is. He's misunderstanding what he's saying. Excuse me. Doesn't understand the culture and stuff and such, so he laughs it off. I thought that was pretty witty. I don't know. Okay. I, I I never picked up on it until this viewing. So for its worth. So we get the actual scout visit. I have my moat here. So many people. Yeah. And this is where we get like, the line. He's like, "Oh, Mike, if I were to say you're staring out of the wrong end of that viewfinder, would I be right?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> he just like, "Yep." He just flips it around. Um. So tension begins first with a man who arrives at the Canadian ambassador's home with soldiers and questions Sahar, 
Meanwhile, at the scouting trio, uh, yeah, like at, he meets you at the trip, gate. He doesn't. He they don't. He doesn't really. Yeah, he, he to, yeah. He's at the gate. He meets her at, meets her at the gate because she's doing some work outside. Meanwhile, at the scouting trip, there's an incident where Kathy and an angry vendor with Kathy and an angry vendor whose business is where Kathy took a picture of and he wants it back. A scene is made which alerts some of the soldiers, but the Iranian culture contact hustles them away from the hostile crowd. Sahar, yeah, and this is this is this is where I made that note. Like Farsi's an angry language, man. They're just screaming at each other's face. Yeah, and that's why I asked. It could be the people too, because they're all pissed off. It's, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever met a happy Iranian ever in my life. Sahar is asked how long their guests have have been there for, and she answers two days, and that everyone in the party is a friend of Iran. The man doesn't bite her lies and smirks as he walks away. She goes back inside and is seriously relieved, like she was just scared shitless. But yeah, these guys up are basically like the like the Khomeini's death squad, just going door to door. Right. So the seven return, and Tony tells the ambassador that tomorrow they'll be ready. So Hamilton Jordan's informed of the operation and asked who signed off on it. Meanwhile, Tony's aggressively asked, he's aggressively questioning the six as they as they would be aggressively questioned at the airport. They're gonna be they're gonna try to be broken and need to buy into their own bullshit. Especially like, what's your middle name? What's your middle name? What's your middle name? Boom, you're dead. <laughs> Tony's informed the operation is off by O'Donnell, and Tony needs to come back because of the planned Operation Rescue. Six Americans got pulled. Six Americans get pulled out of a Canadian diplomat's house and is executed. It's a world outrage. Six Americans get caught playing movie make-believe with the CIA at the airport and executed. It's a national embarrassment. They're calling the operation, he says. And yeah, because so, basically they have an alternate. Like they're 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 trying to like fly in and just you know scoop scoop yeah, by. They have their own little plan now. Yeah, and they, they think they can just hustle these six people from. <laughs> the ambassador's house to the fucking military base without hassle, and they just—they have no clue what the fuck is going on. What are they going to have the drop squad deliver their bikes so they can pedal through? Right, the right. Bike? They're just like drop a little fucking rope ladder down and climb up to the helicopter from yeah. the roof of the ambassador's up, gang. Building. Right. So the Nobody will notice shown, us. The six are shown partying the Led Zeppelins when the Levy breaks as Tony lets the ambassador... He tells the ambassador to burn their passports before they leave, letting them have his moment. Let, letting them have their moment, He they agree that uh, Tony just doesn't show up the next day. So. Yeah, because they, they don't know how close it's come. Like, even there's, there's, there's a scene... Where Victor Garber's right. Well, there's also a scene just a little bit earlier where Victor Garber's character pulls Tony aside. Ken Taylor pulls him aside, and he's like, "Um, we really can't keep them here much longer. Like, even the Canadian government's like, get them out of your fucking house." And even that's when he mentioned Sahara, like noticing she's like our housewife or our housemaid Sahara. Also, he's like, she's on to them, you know. Doesn't quite yeah. know it, but she knows, you know. Yeah, so and he's anyways. he's like, it's it's not say like these these are six people that that don't realize they're they're basically almost without a country, you know, or without so, safe haven. They're on that border and have no clue. 
You're right. So the man who visited Sahar earlier is shown looking over photographs of the six as Tony leaves in his van and is passing a burning vehicle on the highway. He gets back to his room and opens a bottle before lighting up a smoke, intercutting with the six partying while still believing that they're going home the next day. The next morning, Tony is looking at their passports while Chambers is told it's off and they put they need to pack up the office. Lester says it can wait, so they go get a drink instead. The six then believe that Tony has now ditched them. Now, Tony suddenly calls O'Donnell and says he's responsible for them and has taken them through and then just hangs up. Yeah, and, he just he like takes matters into his own hands. He's like, I'm responsible for getting them out. I'm getting them out. I'll deal yeah. with the repercussions when I get back to D.C. Giving Jack no chance to stop. So he goes out and demands the tickets be rebooked, but only Hamilton can do such a thing. Uh, he then goes and essentially fights for the tickets to come back into play so they're not stopped at the airport. He ultimately asks where his uh, kids go to school, and he calls Jordan Posen as someone from the school asking to uh, to be out through uh, since it's an emergency. He tells them that they're going to be captured if the tickets aren't rebooked. Now, yeah, because he can't, he can't he can't get Hamilton on the phone no matter how hard he tries. Yeah, he, he pretends figures, to be okay. the school. He's like, figure out where his kids go to school. He'll take that call. And that's what gets him through to Hamilton. Uh, which, none of this ever happened. And no. Jo- no there's a lot, a lot of broad strokes in this. Jordan story. had no kids and was single at this time. Um, and yeah, this whole entire like third act is basically just heightened for, you know, movie purpose. Dramatic tension. I mean, which it, is it, fine. It, it works. I, as a, yeah, it's fine. I, I understand you're going to, you know, ex- exaggerate on, on I, a bit I, of details, I, I tell you what but, it is, and I was I was thinking this watching it the other night. I mean, it's very, it, it plays fast and loose with the facts, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm willing to give it a pass because it was pretty much the first time this whole piece of contemporary American history was really brought to the public eye. Like the average, mm-hmm. you know, schmo had no clue. And like they knew about, you know, the hostage crisis in Iran, but they didn't know what went down. Obviously, Clinton didn't even declassify until the late 90s. But even after that, until the film was made, like, I mean, I had read this story, but that's because it's a movie thing so to me i'm like that's kind of a neat little cover it's based around a movie and that's that's a cool little operation but your average you know my neighbor wouldn't know that so i'm willing to give right. affleck a pass with that because he's got to paint those strokes within 2 hours and again sell the tension in it cuz it didn't get nearly as tense toward the end as it's made out to be yeah i agree so the six are rebriefed as they reach the airport. At first, there's nothing but uh, at the very last second, the tickets are confirmed and they're able to advance. Um, yeah, like Bob, push through the 11th hour. Even, even though Bob has an issue with his past, I guess the attention uh, that they, they can't afford to have at this moment. He shares a letter that he had on him from the Department of Agriculture that saves his ass. Something that he probably should have shown them a little bit sooner than when he did. <laughs> Because he kind of well, it, 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 it wasn't the Ministry of Agriculture, but it was it, it was it was basically you know they were allowed, he's like got a letter from their Ministry of Arts allowing them to film in the the basically he's like your your people gave me a pass to make a yeah, movie. Yeah, he got a sign off. He, he should have shown them a little bit sooner than what he did. Yeah, for real. Whatever. Uh, movie's gonna movie. So the sweatshop kids piece together the last photo. 
talk about convenience and yeah, rushed right. to the men who rushed to the Canadian ambassador's home where they were originally suspected to be hiding. Final step at the terminal with the passport check, but they're all taken to a separate room where Joe explains why they're there. He's explaining this in their language. Um, because like you said before, he's he's lenient in that language, so he plays his yeah, part. Yeah, he's fluent in Farsi. It's them. like he's he's basically pitching the movie to them in their yeah, in oh, their yeah, language. The story was but he's selling it like you know it's you know the prince gets you know is ousted yeah, and he and he gets it. the he gets the farmers yeah. to uprise against the evil dictator, you know. So it plays a, a, a you know to to their emotions of what's going on in their country to help sell the story. So the head guard says they don't believe they don't leave until they're verified. So Tony then tells them to call the office and they'll get verification. Chambers and Lester, meanwhile, can hear the phone ringing, but they're held up by a production shoot outside with these two yeah, guys like, who are right like across the street. fighting. And he's like, "Well, sorry guys, we're about to be in your movie. Call me." Yeah, yeah, like yeah, they walk across because the phone keeps ringing. Yeah, and they're running out of time, so. The Arkin just grabs Gumman. He's like, let's go. They just walks through the shot. He's like, we'll sorry, guys. We're, we're in your movie. Call my agent. <laughs> sorry, pal. We're going to be in the movie. Call my agent, sir. Sir. <laughs> Studio 6 Productions. Uh, may I speak to a Mr. Kevin Harkins? I'm sorry, Mr. Harkins is out of country on a location scout. May I take a message? So Chambers gets to the phone at the last second, and they are able to board the plane, and about the same time as this happens, the authorities are alerted to the ruse. They try to stop them, but the plane is able to take off. Yeah, I mean, they're like, they're driving down the runway and cop cars chasing them. None of this plane. shit happened in real life. None still, of it. No, because they literally, those, those last couple hours, they just took it easy in the airport. Yeah, it was an nonchalant flight. It was yep, easy And breezy. they just hopped on the flight and, you know, so the, the no smoking sign was turned off, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to announce that alcoholic beverages are now available as we have cleared Iranian airspace. <laughs> Yes. 
to protect the hostages remaining in Tehran from rehabilitation uh, retaliation. So sorry. To protect the hostages remaining in Tehran from uh, retaliation, all U.S. involvement in the rescue is suppressed, and full credit is given to the Canadian the Canadian government and its ambassador, who shuts down the embassy and leaves Iran with his wife as the operation is underway. The ambassador's Iranian housekeeper, Sahar, who had known about the Americans and lied to the revolutionaries to protect them, escapes to Iraq. Mendez is awarded the Intelligence Star, but due to the mission's classified nature, he receives the medal in secret and has it returned afterward. Ha! <laughs> and I left my autograph book at home. <sighs> His eminence called me. He wants to see you. Probably wants to fire me himself. He wants to give you the Intelligence Star. You're getting the highest award of merit of the clandestine services of these United States. Ceremony's on the 14th. If they push it a week, I can bring you in. This is winter break. The op was classified. So, the ceremony's classified. You can't know about it. Nobody can know about it. So they're just gonna give me an award and then they're gonna take it back. That's right. If we wanted applause, we'd have joined the circus. I thought we did. Yeah. Uh, Carter said you were a great American. Great American what? He didn't say. The award is restored to him after the Canadian caper is declassified in 1997. On-screen text then tells the audience that Tony Mendez lives in rural Maryland with his family as the screen focuses on an Argo illustration of a man and a little boy together like Tony and his son after family their family is reunited. As the credits roll with the actors and their real-life counterparts, President Jimmy Carter is heard com- um, commenting on the operation and folks that is 2012's Argo from Ben Affleck. Fucking love this movie. Yeah, it's a good film. All right. Trivia tidbits. Now remember that, because the more you know. All right, so the film's opening scene, the director of photography gave 8mm cameras out to certain people in the crowd to make the the, uh, opening scene have what would seem like, you know, it was actual footage from the riot. So that's how they were, that's how they were able to get the 8mm uh, footage that I was t- talking about earlier in the film. Um, Affleck has stated that the, product, the production was granted uh, unprecedented access to CIA headquarters, both for interiors and exteriors. And yeah. the gratitude for that privilege belongs to Tony Mendez, the retired CIA officer portrayed by Affleck in the film. See, I told you. I didn't doubt you. In order <laughs> to make the movie feel like the 1970s, Ben Affleck shot a regular 35mm film, but using the minimum two perforation uh, widescreen frame, uh, perforation widescreen frame size, as well as further enlarging the Tyran, Tyran scenes in post-production to further increase their perceived graininess. He also copied camera movements and bustle, bu- bustling, bustling office scenes from all the all the president's men 
for sequences depicting CIA headquarters for Los Angeles interiors or exteriors. He borrowed from the killing of a Chinese bookie from 1976. Yeah, I was I was going to say like, and I've been meaning, dude, I've been meaning to watch Ben Gazzara's killing of a Chinese bookie for like a year now. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's been in my prime queue for a while. Um, I'm curious about that. Uh, but I was, I was thinking like, especially with the embassy and the CIA office, like the layout, like I was getting kind of those, all the president's men vibes were how they basically duplicated the, you know, the entire interior of the Washington post office, right? um, or the office of the Washington post, I should say. Did you ever see all the president's men? A very long time ago, like about 15, 15 years ago or so. Uh, whenever the remake came out, it was around that time. The what? The remake? No, 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 no. You got to You got to What, dude? I got the Digibook, man. Let me. I lay didn't it on see you. the remake. I'm saying I saw the original around the top. That was when I they saw. Remade, I they remade. They remade it. I didn't know they remade that movie. Didn't they make all the presidents. all the presidents men with 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 Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford as as um um uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. That uncover Watergate. I don't think they remade that. Oh uh, no, I was. Th- I'm thinking of another movie. Then I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's all the presidents men. Great film. Um, Ben Affleck requested that the actors playing the embassy refugees live together for a week in the house dressed with 1979 decor in order to get acquainted and to better understand the period. Yeah, he kind of. Uh, I like to think he got that from what what Linklater put him and Cochran through when they were doing Days of Confusion. Yeah, like makes he, sense. Like like threw him into the in, into the time frame to absorb the character. Yeah, yeah, that checks out. Okay. I think I think he picked that up from Linklater. Argo was film critic Roger Ebert's pick for the best film of the year, and was the last film he would choose for the honor before his death in 2013. Yeah. Finally, Alan Arkin was the first actor who was cast in the movie. Really? Yep. All right. Box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. So the film premiered August 31st, 2012 at the uh, Telluride Film Festival before premiering to the masses on October 12th. 2012 from Warner Brothers. It opened up across 3,232 screens, opening up at number two with $19.4 million. The following week, it came in with $16.4 million, also at number two. Total gross of the film, $232.3 million, against a budget of only $44.5 million. Big box office winner for this movie. Even when you take into consideration marketing and promotions and all that, this movie yeah. ran away with at least a hundred grand, hundred grand, a hundred million in profit, easily, easily. Yeah, yeah. So good stuff all around. That's well, why Affleck continues to do business for Warner Brothers. Although I still to this day questioned their the whole handling of Live by Night because even you haven't seen Live by Night that's a problem no like I dude I can't. they handled it so terribly like they that's, they, they, so, ba- they so barely like, put the movie out like it so was what's release what's what's being sold to me is not the story I'm gonna be in for right because like what's yes being sold and to me no bores it's, the it's shit yes and me. no it's from a, it's based off a book. You right, I mean, one of Dennis, it was a Dennis Lehane novel, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he likes. Yeah, he likes Lehane. I don't so. know, like. I keep, I keep wanting to watch it, and then I'm just like, ah, oh, it looks like it's going to be like his worst film I've ever seen. 
Affleck's, I mean. Um, I don't know. I I I have to watch it again to actually like give my honest take on it. So I'm gonna give it a run. One day that'll come. We'll we'll get to it one day. All right, let's move along the critics' corner. See what they had to say about the film. Alright, so Argo currently has a Rotten Tomato score of 96% based on 358 reviews. The site's general consensus, or the critical consensus reads, Tense, exciting, and often darkly comic, Argo recreates a historical event with vivid attention to detail and finely wrought characters. Metacritic has got a score of 86 out of 100 based on 45 reviews indicating universal acclaim and on cinema score it achieves a A plus grade. Uh, it was one of best 11 films of tw- oh, naming Argo one of the best 11 films of 2012. Stephen Holden of the New York Times wrote, Ben Affleck's seamless direction catapults him to the front forefront of Hollywood filmmakers turning out to thoughtful entertainment. The Washington Times said it felt like a movie from an era, I'm sorry, like a movie from an earlier era, less frantic, less showy, and more focused on narrative than sensation, but that the script included too many characters that he doesn't quite develop. Um... Ebes to further evaluate what he said. He was quoted saying, "The craft in this film is rare. It is all. It is so easy to manicure a thriller from chases and gunfire, and so very hard to fine tune it out to exquisite timing and a plot that's so clear to us. We wonder why it's why it isn't obvious to the Iranians. After all, who in their right mind would believe a space opera was being filmed in Iran during the hostage crisis?" Um, four out of four stars, calling it spellbinding and surprisingly funny. Uh, let's see, one more. Literary critic Stanley Fish says the film is a standard caper film in which some improbable task has to be pulled off by a combination of ingenuity, training, uh, yeah, ingenuity, training, depiction, deception, and luck. He goes on to describe the film's structure. One, the presentation of the scheme to uh, reluctant and unimaginable superiors. Two, the transformation of a ragtag bunch of never-doers and the the wackos into a coherent, coordinated unit. And three, the carrying out of the task. Universal acclaim, for the most part. Let's go to our biggest takeaways and let everyone know what we thought overall. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points... And may God have mercy on your soul. My notes here for biggest takeaways I have. I love Ben Affleck's attention to the time and era. I wish Cranston did more work. 
Goodman and Arkin have a chemistry that makes it hard to imagine. It makes it hard to believe that this is their first time working together in this capacity. They've done films, they've shared the same movies, but never like scenes like this or characters yeah. that are friends like this. The ending's a bit Hollywood, but still works as a tension piece, or at least it did for me. And finally, another award-winning ensemble cast. How about you? What are your takeaways from the movie? Um, I mean, I've always been pissed that that he didn't even get nominated. You know, for best right. director, I like, know, I know. Uh, and and I read an interview with him. Well, it was a reprinted interview. I read it the other day where he's like, you know, I did the right things. I kissed the babies. I shook the hands. You know, and y'all just want to hand it out as a team effort. And, you know, and I and, and I agree. He kind of got the you know got the. And, and, and I was thinking maybe. Part of me feels like maybe it's because he cast himself in the lead too, so they kind of shied away from him for that. But right. it's not necessarily the case. I mean, Costner's gotten nominated for pulling the same shit, and this is better than Dancing with Wolves, in my opinion. Um, but then, I, it's, again, I, what I said before is I like how it and it it kind of shines a light to this corner of American history that not everybody knows about. You know, I don't like the fact that it's so, like I said, fast and loose with the facts. But, you know, you kind of got to take the good with the bad, you know. Yeah, you got to give and take you, somewhat. Right, right. You, you you know, you can't, you know, nobody's going to sit there for a four and a half hour Ben Affleck history lesson, you know. So you got to jam it into into two hours and, and keep their butts in the seats. Um, I do agree with... You know, now granted, there are a lot of, you know, chess pieces on the board, but, you know, not a lot of people have a lot of stuff to do. Like, like Rory Cochran hardly does anything in the film for me. No. You know, he's got the like viewfinder scene is like his moment, and that's it. That's it. That's really it. That, and a part and, where know, they're going over their backgrounds, and he's like mocking the Canadian language. Yeah, mocking the Canadian hey, accent. I'm, Mike yeah. McEwen. I'm Mike McEwen, eh? Mike McEwen, eh? Um, now, again, but on the flip side of that, you know, they gave McNary screen time that, that, that helped, you know, shed a light on him. He had a role in this movie that I forgot was this big because he's clearly like the, 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 the head of the six and he has the most Pretty screen much. time. He's got the most dialogue yeah. to chew on. And I yeah, didn't really take yeah. that. I didn't really notice that before. So I guess that no, would be I'd a takeaway from me too on this. Yeah, it was it, it was it, it was on the on you know subsequent viewings that I stood up and he deserves it. How, right, absolutely. It's what I said. Where's this guy's fucking Oscar? When's it yeah, coming? It'll come. You know, I, I, it's it's going to happen sooner or later. Guys, he's not going to get it doing a Quiet Place Part Two, but it'll come. No, 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 no. It's it, it's it's stuff like this and like you know, like you said, killing them softly. That's that's getting him noticed. So, yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, and and. I don't know, like, like it, it helped, it, it helped educate a little bit of my youth. And when we were sitting there in the theater, I'm like, okay, now what was going on when I was five is making a little more sense. Right. You know, at 35, you know, like I didn't really fully understand. It's why I like when, when, when Adam McKay does those, like his bread and butter now is all these satires about, you know, your modern day fiascos like Dick Cheney and the economic crisis. Like I, I can use the art form to educate myself and at least these broad strokes. So I understand it a little better. I may not be getting all the facts a hundred percent spoon fed, you know, but um, I, I I like it feels it feels like I learned a little something, 
you know, which right. I always do from, from some of these biopics, you know, especially right. when the ones that don't stray too far off the course. Yeah. All right. Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? For me, it's, I, I the Sahar subplot, it could have used a bit more focus, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I didn't felt like they were going somewhere with it. First when she yeah. was looking well, at the yeah, Oh, I forgot is. to mention this, too. Um, the actress who plays her does the opening narration in the beginning with uh, oh, the history she... of, of um, Iran and whatnot. Yeah, I'm trying to pull oh, up her, uh, her name here. Um, yeah, Sheila Vand it does, uh, per, you know, portrays the role and uh, does the opening narration. So... So yeah, I felt like they had something. They were going with something with that character, and I don't know. I just felt like it could have used a little bit more focus. Maybe add a few more scenes with involving her and the situation at hand. It's just more of a here's our house, our, our maid that we didn't really focus on before. Oh, oh, she knows about this. She's she's already uh, yeah. She's, so like kind of out of nowhere, like I this. When she it, it sees happens. that whole alley shot through the window, I didn't really know who the hell she was at that point. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, just, I didn't put it together. I, I felt like they were going somewhere with it, and they, they kind of give it an execution without any buildup. So, I, yeah, that's that's what I would change. I, I'd throw in a couple more scenes to kind of familiarize her more with the audience. Right. Um, How about you? I've already I've already said it, man, and you'll agree. We just need a little more Rory Cochran in this film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, absolutely. Always, just especially more Rory Cochran's always a good thing. Yeah, especially when you know when when he's doing a period piece with you know with the with the prosthetics, the mustache, the wig, yeah, the glasses. Yeah. Like I could see him making a character out of that. You know, I would have I would have liked more than just what three lines of dialogue for a total of you know. 90 seconds on screen of Rory Cochran in this film. Especially right. considering his, you know, his history with Affleck, you know, right. we worked together several times. All right, finger looking good. Finger licking good. The escape. Because you, you feel it with them in those final moments as they're trying to be free. You just, yeah, Affleck has a great way of just incorporating you with, with just tying making you feel the tension and yeah it's not real tension because he made it up for the for hollywood and for the movie but it works as you know someone watching the movie every time i watch this film and i've seen it a lot you know yeah. not gonna lie that the the end scene at the runway and everything like I, I get tense even though i know how it's gonna end it's still like a tense thing for me to watch so that's definitely my favorite thing about the movie when uh when it comes to the tension, I'm gonna say that bizarre scene. It's it's like you know. Oh yeah. It could go it could go any way in any moment, and Absolutely. especially the first time, you don't you don't know if if all six are getting out of that alley alive. Mm -hmm. uh, but then when it comes to a breather, I want to say the uh the the table read. That's just like a fun little, you know, five minute comedic yep. aside yep. to like kind of relieve the tension of uh, of of the real life strife that's going on. You know, especially, you know, Barbo showing up for two scenes, you know, thinking yeah. she's actually got a role in this film because, you know, Adrian Barbeau has no clue that she's part of a bullshit table read. Right, right, she right. Thinks right. She, she thinks she might have a role as the, it's great. A, 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 as the queen, you know. It's great. 
<laughs> Keep that space witch away from me. <laughs> All right, final thoughts. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. How about you go first um, for this? Josh, <coughs> excuse me. Like I said, I I dig it. I dig it. I'm pissed that, you know, it, it, he didn't even so much get nominated for Best Director when, you know, it obviously won Best Picture. I believe it, you know. It won a, it won a, you know, a, it won a, a couple of writing awards too, you know. Um, I always felt like that was the big snub, and and that that's like I start thinking back, like that doesn't happen often when a film gets nominated for best picture but not best director, and then it wins for best picture, and it's almost right. like sticking it in and breaking it off in that poor director's gut. Like, did did the Academy, you know? Was was there some ulterior motive? Because you know, at the time, he was Affleck was still not quite fully distanced from Weinstein, and that shit was beginning to start bubbling to the surface. Everybody's unspoken dirty secret in Hollywood right. was starting to boil to the top. Was he, you know, was a little bit of side eye because of that? Was it because of his, you know, his drinking problem? That they're like, um, we'll give his, we'll give his, his collaboratory effort the award. So everybody takes home a statue, but we're not letting him take one home by himself, you know? Um, so I'd say, but it's, it's, I, I enjoyed it. It was my favorite picture of the year. Well, I think we, we said yeah, that, same. you know, coming out of it, both of us walked out of there, called it like, uh, my favorite experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I bet you it takes home, you know, a statue in February. Um, Fabrications aside, yeah. I love this movie. This movie is yeah. just, it's so damn good. Um, not my favorite Affleck movie. That that crown goes to you know the, the town, of course. Previous episode, gang, check it out. Yeah. Um, and one more thing, I want to make note too. Something that I brought up last week for No Country, and that in the episode I said that it wasn't quite my favorite best picture winner but it was damn close and then I made a reference to I alluded to this I was like next week's episode will be my favorite is my favorite I kind of take back that statement now because watching this again don't get me wrong I, I, I still love it just as much as I did the last time I've seen it and everything before that it's nothing against the movie at all don't take it like that don't take it the wrong way but and I think I like No Country more I think that's my favorite after watching these two so close together um, and again, that does not take anything from my overall thoughts of this movie. It just anything heightens my feelings towards No Country a little bit more than Argo. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I mean, if you put if you put a gun to my head, I'd choose. You know, I'd choose. They're gonna be like, oh, you can only take one. Well, like, all right, Argo, right. you gotta go. But I love this Argo, movie. I really do. It's really quotable. It's really funny. It's serious. The Affleck does a good good enough job with uh mm-hmm. paying attention to, to details uh especially when dealing with the real life incident um one thing i wanted to mention um is that when we saw this i'll always remember the end scene text and when it says that tony mendez lives at home with his family in rural maryland i'll never forget that applause that the audience yeah. gave the screen because you know yeah. Maryland, we're, that's us, baby. We represent yeah, the four one zero here, so that was always cool. I was one of the uh, bring that the light 
so yeah, overall, just fucking love this movie. So. I mean, you got to figure, dude. It's, it's it's a shitty kept secret about our state is like we probably have the biggest spy capita per, per populace. Because of look who's next door to us. In the country. I mean, yeah, we, yeah on either side, we got Langley and D.C. Right. So, you know, they all they do is they, they just drive through, across the beltway, over the border, and then go home to Bethesda, you know. So, yeah. Alright, well this episode is sponsored by Hollywood because only in Hollywood could you find an idea as ridiculous as this, yet it still managed to save six innocent lives. And all that being said, my notes went away. Hang on a second. <laughs> all that being said, this film definitely gets the film effects seal of approval and that will bring th- things home for this edition of the show. One now and many more to follow. Um... We got a bunch of stuff coming up, like I said. So we got Christmas Vacation next. Mm-hmm. We've got tpublic.com slash user slash film effect podcast. Yeah. And shout out to whoever's been buying merch because I, to my surprise, saw that we had a couple sales in the last couple of weeks and we have one pending. Awesome. Right um, on. Thanks, guys. And as always, Make great stocking stuffers, Christmas yeah. gifts. Yeah, right. Um, T-shirts, magnets, keychains, onesies. Keep going. Hello. Stickers. Stickers, coffee mugs. Cases. Uh, koozies. Flags. Probably got some baseball hats on there. I don't know. Magnets, bitch. <laughs> and while you're at it, check out our website at podpage.com where you'll find our ever-growing collection of previous episodes. Um, so yeah, Christmas vacation because you all voted on it, and that's what's coming. You ask, yeah. we deliver. Yeah. And uh, got a couple more episodes after that. We got one episode, Rain Man, coming up next week. That'll wrap up Best Picture Month, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, that's it. Two weeks, we relax and we come back hitting the ground running with a bunch of uh special episodes. And looking forward to 2022 overall. Because when we come back, it's going to be the same film effect, but a different film effect. And you all will know what I'm talking about once you hear our first episode back. Which is either going to be Reservoir Dogs or Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Which was just voted on the poll for this month. They wanted next month to be Elm Street 3. They'd rather us cover Elm Street 3 than Heather's. So we're doing Elm Street. I uh, know. I, no, I saw that. I was a little. Dis- it was close. It was. Close. I couldn't cast my vote. If I could, I would have cast it for Heather's. No. I kind of no. wanted the. I kind of wanted Cellular to win. But get the fuck out of here! I don't even know why the hell you came up with that. I was, I was gonna tap out and fake laryngitis for I that one. Just... If that one won. Remember we played that at the movie thon once. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, man, you forgot all about it. It was a fun time. It was a fun conversation. We should do it again. Yeah. All right. Well, until Christmas, until Christmas vacation, until Chevy, until you hear us again, you want to take us out? Yeah, guys, we shall see you all again next time when those theater lights go dim and the opening credits begin to roll. I have been Ed. You have been Sean. It has been fun, but now it is done. Or go fuck yourself, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. Hey, hey, hey.
Go fuck yourself.